we haven't seen the beach on this trip because the weather hasn't been so good. But taking into account the fact that the weather hasn't been so good, we've been having a wonderful time anyway. So Lucia is part of the wetlands, and as Kian taught me, the word, the way to say is Isa Mango Lisa <laughs> is the wetland park, but he can go. say it far better than I am. And, uh, and I'm with uh, Kian Barker, and uh, you're with either Shaka Barker, Eco Lodge, yep, you just yeah. run the... You run the town. Well, not really. We run a business and look after people. But come to us. That's what we want. We, when you arrive, we'll take good care of you, be it in accommodation or in the lakes or on land, on safari. Have you always lived in St. Lucia? Well, since November 1996. Uh, Most of you adults. Grown up are. in Pretoria, spent a bit of time in the Kruger area. Small stint in Botswana and now uh, St. Lucia. What do you mean Botswana? I ran a lodge there. I set up and learned how to set up and run and facilitate. Was that up in the Trophy area? Tunibok. So it was actually the Tunibok Safari Lodge. So it was all, and, and where did you learn your knowledge about so much animals and, I mean, yesterday when we were with you on the boat, I was amazed at your knowledge of the birds and the the, the hippos, yeah. the crocodiles. Yeah. These poor grazing hot summer disaster. They pushed it to 1960 when the apartheid government arrived and things went from bad to worse. But what the apartheid government did planted 5 million pine trees on the eastern shores and 10 million. Those trees were planted in the drainage area, bringing fresh water into the lake. So when they saw things going wrong, they then built the dredger harbour in the 70s and they put in five dredges that they dredged up and down the narrows, which led in more seawater but no fresh water because it was taken up by the pine trees. So by 1992, the lake was nine times more salty than the sea. That's when Mandela was appointed for the spokesperson for the whole transformation of this park. He said, guys, ecotourism. So by the year 2000, we removed the pine trees on the eastern shores. Western shores was cleared by 2010. Put back the natural grassland, and every year we burn it. So like good South Africans, if we haven't got a piece of meat on the fire... So look, there's two areas I've looked at where I actually picked up my knowledge. The first was I did a formal degree in botany, zoology, and fishery science. And then it's the way people ask questions. And everybody looks at an animal or bird or the ecosystem and asks a question in a specific way. And once you start putting that information together after years and years, you learn a lot yourself about how questions are formulated to how animals actually interact in the environment. And in terms of your growing knowledge, do you find you learn something new every day? Yep. There's always something new to learn in the bush. There's I mean, the other day we had a remarkable sight of a fish eagle catching a, swimming a cat, catfish out the water, getting onto the bank and then flying off with it. That's oh something goodness. you don't see every day. And then shortly after that, we saw a hippo catching rain in their mouths. It was post online as well. So we had this incredible storm we got stuck into. We just stuck it out. We sat next to the hippo, had extra tea and coffee. And when the rain was really pouring down, the hippo had opened their mouths to the sky and were drinking rain as it fell in their mouths. Black market passport prices. <laughs> I have some good contacts. And you'll be competing for the results. Yeah, so essentially, what we're trying to do is get the old migration route down from the Kruger Park through Mozambique into Ishimangalisa. You can see we've got 50 shades of green winter, summer, autumn, and spring. Never goes brown. So, those animals to get away from the summer rainfall areas would come down here in winter, browns and greys, and then turn and go back to the again. Then we say, Yeah. And when, 
when you start at um, the Eco Lodge, the St. Lucia Eco Lodge, what, is, what can I expect to see? In the sense of... Your accommodation, accommodation. What, do I, what do I book before I start on my journey? Because I see you've got a lot of um, activities that I can do once I'm there. Yeah. So once I'm at the lodge and I've chosen my room, because I see you've got a whole range of different rooms. That's the whole concept of Eco Lodge, was to bring in green technology, but to be sophisticated about it. So it was putting in solar heaters, putting in PV panels, making green energy, right down to the last little fine details. We've got a little group of phantom chickens that chase up all the bugs and things. And although we do fertilize, we've worked in combination with all these other ideas and concepts people have formulated over. So the lodge is actually run on an eco basis? Yeah, but we've got electricity, we've got proper water, we serve proper breakfast. I know that you do. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but around it, we just, you know, let's use green technology, LED lighting, solar reflective paint, and we paint the solar reflective paint inside and outside. So when you switch on an LED light, the room is brighter. Whereas normal paints don't reflect 30% more light, whereas solar reflective paints do inside. And what made you decide to do that? Well, for many years, well, I was the chairman of the BNB Association for a while, and I battled to get people to compass and use eco. And I had a little green award for everybody who could seed uh, their ideas. But nobody really liked it that much. There were some people that did. So in the end I said, well, let's go big. Let's do a whole lodge. Let's name it properly. And over those years of collecting these ideas, I've incorporated it into the lodge. Because it's really quite beautiful. And I love the chickens. And yeah. I think those are just, we saw them some more this morning. I see there's some babies around there as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they like the lodge too much. <laughs> and I have to start charging them rent now. <laughs> And certainly the accommodation we have with the kitchenette is yes. such a nice idea because it means we don't have to eat out of nice. We can just Correct. have a basic meal inside yeah, and enjoy the, things, the scenery. Yeah, one of the things we do for breakfast is we include local fruits, pineapples, mangoes, whatever is current, bananas. And people come and stay. Like you said, I don't know if you want to eat out, but they'd like to try some local fruit. fruit or they'd like to try a fry. I mean, many foreigners have never bride before, so there's bride facilities, oh, and food, and that type of thing. So it's all-encompassing. You give people a really hands-on stay, or they can go to a restaurant. It's twelve and tough. And I've noticed that you, on every pillar, you're advertising something different to do in St. Lucia with you. Yeah. Um, let's start with the relaxing side, because I yeah. see you have some spas advertised. Correct. Yeah. So if you come to town, you need your fingernails done, or hair done, or nice massage. We can arrange that. Right and it's not at the lodge. It's taking it's taking into account that there's so many people in the town that can do business collaboratively. Correct. So it's rather than run your own, you collaborate with others in the town that run it as their business. And I think that's that's such a, a neat idea, if you wanted a, a better word. The, the yeah. America always use neat, but and it's a great idea because a lot of people try to incorporate everything into their own venue, but yeah. they don't always do it as well as if they outsourced it to somebody yeah. who's running it as their business. Correct. Yeah, so I mean, I could build a whole massage parlor, whatever, at the lodge, but what's the point? If there's one in town, exactly. somebody make it collect. And I think St. Lucia is so close. Yeah. Uh, in other words, everything is a block or two away. It's not yeah. like it's a sprawling metropolis and right. you have to drive across town. Driving yeah. here across town is going three blocks. Well, the advantage is you can lie in bed and watch your hippo go past. <laughs> everything is so, so well organized. <laughs> and it's, it's that pleasant and that well organized and it's tourist friendly. And thanks so much for arranging that last night, having yeah. the hippo on the side of the road so that we could view it properly after spending time yeah. with it. 
in the oh, just being in town with you on the boat. Yeah, it was a bale of hay. I'll put that on your card. <laughs> I hope I appreciated the hay. <laughs> Moving on to the more exciting activities like um, the boat on the Sharkabaka, on the on the Issa. Issa Mangalisa. There you go. You Isi see it said so well. Um, and we toured with you on the on the river, seeing the hippos in action, yeah. crawling along the bottom of the mm. of the water. We didn't see any crocs, but we did see mm. some weavers and yeah. we saw some hornbills. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more about those activities. Yeah. So look, look this area has got possibly the densest population of hippos in South Africa, and the most tourist-friendly one. So the big advantage is you're right up next to a hippo, watch the interaction, as well as you know crocs and other animals around. And it's stones throw away from the lodge, so take this, bring them down, and spend at least 20, 30 minutes with a group of hippos having a cup of tea and a rusk. Many oh, I have foreigners. a hot chocolate divine. Yeah, or hot chocolate. And my favorite review, which guests left them, they said they were given old hard cakes. <laughs> <laughs> we got a one out of five review rating for that. And it just shows, you know, people coming to South Africa need to try briar or rusk. Or something local. And they need to understand that. And they need to appreciate it. That's what we are. But Third World War nearly started after that review. Your, 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 your talk was amazing mm. yesterday of the park and yeah. of your knowledge of the waterways and the estuary. Yeah. Um, where did that knowledge come from? So it just built up over time. So some from scientific background. Also, it's the questions people have asked. So I've just set it up in such a way they want to know how many ecosystems. So we run through all the ecosystems. We know how big the park is, so we run through it. And once the tour starts, you run through all these basic questions. It makes it nice for everybody not asking the same question. And then when you're on the water, you can take the whole guiding experience to the next level where people are asking more interactive questions. And I've trained all my guys that way, and that they then start guiding, and each trip is more intellectually interesting than just asking, answering the same question, how big is the park every single trip you do Absolutely. two to three times. So and how big is the park? 1.3 million hectares. It's the second largest park in South Africa now. Wow. Two years ago, they added another million marine And is it hectares. mostly water? A million marine hectares of marine sanctuary, and then 324,000 hectares of land. So it's the second, second to Kruger. And in terms of the land, do you have uh, the Big Five, possibly? Uh... Yeah. So the, the southern part of the park is for the Big Five. You just don't have lions. But the Mkuzi section, which is part of East Mangalisa, has lions. And uh, they're doing so well, they put them on contraceptives. So <laughs> this park is good for everything. <laughs> and in terms of, of being able to do both, do you do the land and the, the waterway um, safaris? Yeah. So we Boat trips, we, the first one in the morning is coffee and croissant. We did this morning, so go and have a light breakfast with a hippo. And you back off three hours. Then we do land, then we do just a normal sunset tour, which is great. And then land-based tours, everything from night drives to sunset cruises, as well as full-day uh, environmental tour through all the five ecosystems in the park. And, and are they, what are the five ecosystems? So essentially Indian Ocean, that goes 60 kilometers out to sea. And then we've got the coastal dune, which are covered by 250 different types of trees. Coastal plains, which is between what we call the eastern shores. There's a massive ecosystem stretches from Durban to Somalia. Lake St. Lucia, which is an estuarine lake with an estuary component. And then finally the savannah. So it's sort of summer rainfall and a dry in winter. And are the hippos out all year round? They're all the time. They're in the same place. Where do they get out to come into the street? 
So yesterday we stopped in a Hippo Highway. Yes. And down this side of town we've got little Hippo Highways, little exits that they go out. It's over hundreds if not thousands of years they've used them to access into town. Same Hippo every year. When I first arrived here in 96 there were three Hippo. Now they're about 11 that uh, move through town every night. It's the only place to eat grass, they're very territorial. If other hippo come and try and eat here, they'll chase them out, and likewise for them, they can't go and eat elsewhere. This is the place at Lucia. And, they and how it. many hippo is there in total in the estuary? About 1,500. It's increasing. Every and year. it grew from how I mean, In the mid 90s, about 380 hippo. Jeez. So it's done very well. They've removed the pine trees, put a lot of work into rehabilitating, removing alien weeds, that type of thing. And the hippo population is responding and increasing. In terms of St. Lucia, have you seen it grow from a little town to a fair-sized fishing town? It's just changed from fishing town to tourist town. <laughs> so there's fewer fishermen, but the size, and the, I mean, it, it's a fixed number of stands. It's the only town in, surrounded by a world heritage site that you can own private land inside. So it's a municipality, whereas Sleeping Bay Dunes in America is government-owned town within a world heritage site. We're very unique in that way. So can't get more land, it's just the way it is. You can put a double story on your house, maybe increase the number of rooms, but more land. not going to get bigger. But just upgraded the quality of what we've seen. And fishing? Fishing is excellent. Yeah, deep sea, spear fishing, rock and surf. S3 is not that good at the moment, a lot of catfish and bream, but there's always fish to be caught in such a show. And do they, um, can they fish in the sea by launching uh, from here or Cape Vidal? Yeah. yeah, so there's two, three launch sites here. Yeah? There's Mapalan, there's St. Lucia and Cape Vidal. And it's excellent, year round. Yeah. Yeah. I'd seldom come back with my fish. And you can buy fish straight off the boat when they come back? Well, they sell it through uh, fishermen's. Yes. So they've got to pass through a dealer. So okay. you can go and buy your fish from fishermen. Otherwise you can take it home because you've yeah. caught it. There you go. <laughs> and and licenses, fishing licenses are available. There's several fishing shops in town. It's all available and good knowledge. I mean, the guys at the fishing shops will give you good advice and fresh bait and stuff like that. So all the knowledge is available for you to come on holiday as a greenback. You yes. don't have to know anything about an ecosystem. You don't have to know anything about hippo or fishing. You can get it all here. And we'll fill in with empty spaces. I think that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, so unique. It's a totally unique town. I mean, people ask, what can you do in St. Lucia? So I usually start with saying, I'll tell you what you can't. There's no snow and there's no glaciers. <laughs> but everything else is here. <laughs> so tell me, what's the way forward for, um, for the lodge and for your uh, safari uh, excursions? I think the big thing is to rebuild what we had prior to COVID. I mean, that was a big challenge. I mean, we were a ghost town for a while, and we're getting back. And then just upgrade facilities and bring in products and things. But in general, you know, St. Lucia has evolved over 70 years. And, and is the drive yeah. to bring back domestic tourism? Because I think domestic tourism before COVID, 
clearly went overseas as their big holiday. Yeah. And they stood in queues, had bad food, spent a fortune, came back yeah. and said, geez, guys, that holiday cost us 100,000 Rand. Mm. And if you went locally, it would cost you a third of that. Yeah. And you would have the best experience because, A, you didn't have to stand in queues at the airport. Um, yeah. You knew your own language. You were able to spend your own money. And you would have the most terrific time because yeah. of people like yourself. Yeah. So we've got what was amazing with the lockdown is South Africans started doing road trips. They've always wanted to go to St. Lucia or they've always wanted to go to Drakensburg. So they're driving all the way from Cape Town. It's a huge circular route to South Africa. And they said, we'll be back. And some of them have already been back. And they have had their holidays cancelled, but they've never regretted. And I think their children are benefiting. <coughs> because yeah. instead of learning about somebody else's country, they're learning about their own. Yes. I think South Africans tend to be a little bit complacent. But uh, once you start really engaging in what your country is about, it becomes a very rewarding experience. I actually noticed yesterday we got in the car and the, the car next to us had a little baby in the car seat and it had an iPad yeah. and it was playing on the iPad. And I thought, don't do that because your child doesn't learn to look out the window. Yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I know from experience because we did something similar with our kids when they were little. And when my daughter turned 21, she wanted to go to Durban to Mishlanga to our timeshare on, on for her 21st. And it took her 12 hours to find Durban. So it was because she'd never really looked, looked out from outside and looked around her and said, wow, I need to, I remember this place, or this is the smallest church, or this is from yeah. Leonard's Pass. Um, yeah. Those things that we know when we're driving, um, they don't seem to know. Yeah. But you haven't noticed. Yesterday we noticed a little um, shop on the right-hand side of the road, a little Bob Marley Jamaican kind yeah, of, of place. Yeah, just loved it. We stopped, we interviewed him, mm. we chatted to him, and I just thought if we'd been looking at an iPad, we would have missed him. Correct. And that's the problem with what they talk internet and all this social media. You actually miss the real value. They're good marketers on social media. They can tell any story you believe that you book. Whereas when you do it yourself, you actually start seeing what's really out there. And I mean, I did the same thing with my daughters. I taught them how to use maps. We traveled the whole coast of South Africa. By the time they finished, they knew how to use a map and choose, and we found the place with the worst coffee in South Africa. Oh, my word. And I must say, I missed, when, when I was spending time with somebody planning this journey, we were planning it on a map. Yeah. And I said to him, please, can I take your wall map with me? And he said, no, this wall map does not leave my office because I plan all my holidays on this map. Yeah. So I said to him, I still have my map box because we love our map box. Yeah. It, it yeah. tells me what the end journey is going to be, and I can trace it back to where I'm starting. Yeah. Whereas on my little screen... <laughs> I can't see anything. GPS. I mean, we're just getting manipulated by smartphones and becoming dumb. And that's so scary. That's really yeah. scary. And it's, you know, map is a social thing. You can all gather around it. And that's why at the beginning of our tours, we take out a map. And collectively, everybody can be involved in the introduction and the process. So you can visualize everybody. Whereas everybody was sitting on devices. You no, couldn't collaborate. You can't collaborate. You're missing the point. And you just know the skinny little roads or the sand roads and the fat yeah. roads or the national roads and, are. you know, the air roads. So you learn about topography. Um, yeah. I, I, and I know when I was playing, um, I think it was 60 Seconds with my kids, yeah. and, and it, the, the question was, where was the wall of China? And they said, Norway. I knew then I had a problem. <laughs> yeah. You had a challenge that you had to sort out. Yeah. So when they went traveling and they went to the States, my daughter phoned me from New York and she said, Mom, where's Macy's? And I said, it's on the corner of Fifth and 
pondering mind. She said, turned to her and she said, see, I told you my mother would know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said to her, that's because when we go to a place, we explore without yeah. looking at our phones. And you learn. It becomes a memory. And I think that's what phones took away from us. Yeah. Uh, even in your experience yesterday on the boat was so amazing. Um, myself and my colleague Nikita and, and Keith, we were so engrossed in what was going on around us. We took a couple of photos because 35 photos of one hippo wasn't really going to be used yeah. anyway. So we took one good photo. And last night when we got home and it was time for bed, I went on my phone and I posted all the pictures that yeah. we've had during the day. And I noticed a lot of young people will rather do it from the boat. And I always think, but those other people aren't here. It doesn't matter whether it's right now yeah. or it's later. Good Don't moment. miss what you, what you can see. Because yeah. it doesn't look the same on your yeah. phone. Yeah, and all the other boats started putting uh, Wi-Fi on the boat. And I think, well, no. what are you booking? Exactly. Yeah. No, no, don't ever do that. You because might have that would that. just take away the whole experience. Yeah, and like you say, when you get back, you've got a good upload and a download speed at the lodge. And you can just upload there. it there. Because yeah. it, it, you can still say my location was the wetlands. Yeah. It doesn't mean to say that I'm not there, that I can't say I was there. Correct. You know, um, but the experience that we had yesterday, and certainly our accommodation experience, has been wonderful. Thank you so much no, you're for welcome. that. Nice um, and it would be wonderful to see more people starting to. Because I mean, your lawns leading onto that view of the sea is yeah. just. When we stood outside yesterday, we thought that's the first view of the sea we've had. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what's also unique about the lodge, we can see the highest vegetative sand dune in Africa. When you look south. Oh, do you see yeah. it from there? That's a unique. Location. You were talking about the sand dune yesterday, yes. and you were saying it takes one raindrop. How long? Fourteen years to pass through the dune system. As a result of all the titanium and zircon and ilmenite and neutron. That's actually all over there. Oh, that is beautiful. Oh, yeah. you see, that's the worst area that we eh? <laughs> <laughs> we could be in a much worse yeah. place. So, tell me a little bit about where people find you. How do they book? So, we've got all our online booking so from websites and that type of thing. I like referrals and welcome back. That's really where it's the proof of the pudding. If people are coming back or referring, and I really want people to talk about their experience or write about it. Or write about and it, even better. That's what we get. Yeah, we don't. The other thing is we don't mass produce numbers and stuff. We do a few personalized tours a day. The guys need to be fresh. It's not like doing six or seven trips. We'll do three or four trips a day at the most, and we take our time. It's a proper environmental and feel-good experience with sitting with Hippo for 20 minutes having a <laughs> chocolate or rest Life or could something. Be worse. <laughs> yeah, worse. I mean, that could yeah. be a traffic jam in Sandton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and we really spoilt in South Africa. I mean, this whole South Africa, every single part of South Africa to this is some unique feature. And what is your email address? It's shockabaka at gmail. Or info, the office, if you want to go straight to the office, info at Shockabaka. And do you have a website? Same, yep, Shockabaka. Well, that's yeah. easy enough to remember. Yeah. Name Shockabaka as a closing, where does that come from? Alrighty, I want to some kids. I thought about having a son called Shockabaka, and the big guy said, no, he gave me three daughters. And they were and not going to take two were twins. We've <laughs> <laughs> had one Shaka. Don't go there. Oh, my word. Otherwise, they could have ended up at Shaka <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're watching this because then they know how much they owe their dad. Because yeah. they could have been twins called Shaka <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I named this boat, this boat we're standing on, is called Shaka Barge, and the other boat's called Mandy Barge. Okay. So we back one. So your twins aren't called Shaka no, and Mandy? Camilla and Alex. 
Okay, so yeah. they're safe. Yeah, I remember twins <laughs> on the water eye. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time, and, and okay. once again, thank you for hosting us. It's been such a tremendous trip, and learning more about St. Lucia yeah. and what we can see and do here. And yes, I'm Janine Preston from Life. Mm-hmm.